0: It's awesome. It's great to see you again. Usually what we found year by year is um, the first Sunday you see the people who've come back and then you see the crowds coming back, you know, by the you know, 13th, somewhere up there and so on. Some of them we know they're already back, but they're just not back. You know what I mean? <laughs> what is so interesting is when we're talking about goals and starting off a new year, very often people have got all these ambitions okay and we want to achieve greatness but our problem is we don't embed it in the christian lifestyle someone once said that your gift can take you to the top but it's your character that keeps you there amen so we need if we want our goals to be sustainable this year we need to embed it in the christian lifestyle And so I want to share with you today a message entitled, Christian Lifestyle. I prayed a couple of weeks ago and I said, Lord, what are some of the instructions that you give us concerning lifestyle? And literally, supernaturally, he gave me eight key verses. And those are the eight I want to share with you. So I believe that this message is not from me. I really believe it's from the throne room, really believe that God downloaded it to me. And I want to share with you if you can turn to my foundation scripture ephesians chapter 4 and we're going to read from verse 17 to 18 and then from verse 20 to 22. verse 17 to 18 and then verse 20 to 22. it's always nice seeing christians at the beginning of the year you can see there's that enthusiasm Ah, this is the year this, this year, Lord, Lord, I'm going to worship you this year ah, Praise and worship, prayer And we've got all these goals and so on May God help us, amen <laughs> Alright, so Ephesians 4 verse 17 to 18 So I tell you this And insist on it in the Lord That you must no longer live as the Gentiles do It's one thing to tell someone something. It's another thing to insist on it. How many of you know that as we walk the Christian life, there's some things we should tell people, but there are other things we should insist on. And one of the things that Paul the Apostle insists upon is that we must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Now the problem I have with Christianity today, if you hear a pastor saying this exact same thing that Paul said, what do people say nowadays? I know you're being legalistic I know you're now putting the law on us isn't it interesting if you have a pastor get up and just say to someone hey now Sipo I want to just urge you I want to tell you this in fact I'm insisting you must not live like the Gentiles do like people in the world we feel like come on just tell me about Jesus and then my lifestyle will just ooze out of that it'll just flow out of that that's what you hear nowadays don't you and then people will say, but Paul is the grace guy. Paul is the grace. Well, that grace guy, Paul, is the one saying this. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. You see, you can insist on something in the flesh. He says, I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. What are the Gentiles? What does that speak of? People who don't know Christ, okay? Unbelievers. And then he goes on to say, In the futility of their thinking. In other words, there's a way in which the world thinks. And Paul here is saying, Don't think in the way that they think. He talks about the futility of their thinking. What does the word futile mean? It means pointless. So a lot of the things we praise the world for and we admire in the world, Paul here is basically saying it's futile. It's worthless. It's pointless. Amen? Then he says... They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. This is such a powerful scripture. You know what this shows me? It shows me that you can be a Christian but still separated from the life of God. Why? Because of the hardening of your heart. And then you become ignorant. And as a result of your ignorance It says, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God. Can you see that? Because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Then it goes on to say, That, however, is not the way of life you learned. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to say to you this year, there is a way of life that Christians ought to live. I was having a chat with Pastor Michael the other day. And um, I think was it yesterday? And we sat down and we were talking. And I found it interesting, because we were just talking about how you can go to certain churches, and the moment you are leaving the church, what you see the people doing outside of church, you're saying, "But this isn't Christian." And we were just having a discussion around that. Why is it that in the modern church today, we have wonderful churches crowds in the church but when you look at the lifestyle it's not christian are you hearing me this morning and the bible here says that however is not the way of life you learned in other words there's a way of living a christian lifestyle that has to be taught if you look in the original language that word learned that word learned is very powerful and it's linked to the word for disciple isn't it Okay? When you teach someone, it means you are causing them to learn. That's what the word teach means, didasko in the Greek. It's to cause someone to learn something. And the Bible here says, however, that is not the way of life you learned. Are you following this morning? So in other words, it has to be taught. We have to teach people who become believers that this is the Christian way of living. There's the Gentile way of living, and there's the Christian way of living. And I'm telling you, your character has to, this year, be able to contain the anointing that God is pouring out on you. I have to say to myself, am I gifted? Yes. Am I talented? Yes. But can my character contain it? Otherwise, you get to the top, you achieve what looks like greatness, but it doesn't last. We want to build churches that last. Amen? want to build families that last that is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires To put off the old self. So if someone says, I'm now a Christian, but they're still living a life like they did when they were not a Christian, then they haven't been fully discipled. Amen? Amen. And then it says, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. I just want to say something. Desires can be deceitful. You see, whenever you look at your desires... Ask yourself, is this a desire that is God-given, that God has placed in my heart? Or is it a desire that has come from an unrenewed mind? I mean, even even as a believer, you've got desires. That word for desire speaks of lusts, it speaks of longings, things that you want. How much of it has been put there because of how God has wired you? And how much of it is there because of the deceit of the enemy? It talks about deceitful desires. To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Today in the church, in the modern church, I'm sure you agree with me that if we, if we talk about holiness, it's become like a swear word. People think you're being legalistic if you just talk about being holy. And yet here Paul is talking about it. Amen? So that's my foundation scripture this morning. God wants us to live Christian life. Now I want to share with you what that looks like in eight different areas. The first word that the Lord gave me as I was praying about this, he spoke to me about deliverance from mammon and greed. This is the first area I want to cover with you in depth this morning. He's saying as we live a Christian lifestyle here in Gauteng or wherever we are in the world. We need to be delivered from mammoth grief. The Bible says in James chapter 5 verse 1 to 6. This is the scripture he gave me. Now listen you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Now you don't hear this being preached nowadays do you? Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. That is strong language. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields... How I many of you had people mowing your lawn this holiday? How I many if you had to do it yourself? I've always got people doing it for me. Mowing lawn, eh. Last did it back in the day. And when I'm going for a run and I see all guys like mowing their own lawns and so on, then I start feeling bad. Am I supposed to be doing it myself, Lord? Only lasts a moment. The wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. Are there people you're supposed to have paid that you haven't paid? The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. You know, this is a powerful scripture. Because on the one hand, it's talking about self-indulgence. On the other hand, it's talking about oppression. Can you see that? Okay. And the Lord spoke to me very clearly uh, through this passage. He wants to deliver us from the spirit of mammon and greed. What is mammon? It's that demonic entity that controls our spending and how we use money. It's the spirit of materialism that's very strong in this age. God wants us delivered from greed. Amen? And I'm telling you right now, you see, what happens is many of us, we have goals. And we're thinking to ourselves, 2019 is the year I'm going to buy this. It's the year I'm going to get this. That's why we're excited. When my wife was here saying, this is going to be an exciting year. A few of you are thinking of, yeah, prayer warrior, prayer warrior. But many of us are thinking, yeah, this is the year where I will get this and I will get that. I want to share with you the secret to getting some of these things. The Bible says in Matthew chapter six, verse thirty-three, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then these things will be added to you. You see, God is a good father. And what do good fathers do? They don't want to get anything that will destroy you. And what destroys us very often is it's when we focus on getting the things and then we forget about God. So the safe person to give someone something to is the one who basically is focused on kingdom first. Amen? That's how God thinks. And if we can say, God, I'm focusing on your kingdom. God, these are my motives for wanting this and wanting that. Guess what happens? He then trusts you with the stuff. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and these things will be added to you because those things won't destroy you. Amen? So you might be for breakthrough saying lord i want this lord i want that and you're wondering why it's not coming i'll tell you one of the reasons can god trust you with it if you study kingdom wealth you'll see that kingdom wealth is more about stewardship than ownership it's more about stewarding that which god has given you amen and he wants to be able to trust you with those things you see at the start of the year many of us have financial be careful to not make money your source of happiness be careful to not make money your source of happiness. The Bible tells us that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Amen. Have a vision of how generous you'll be this year. One of the ways of breaking the spirit of greed is generosity. See, a lot of people focus on, no, don't be greedy, don't be greedy, don't be greedy, don't be selfish, don't be... No, rather do the opposite. Say, God, I'm embracing generosity this year. Amen. Amen. Okay, have a vision of how well you're going to treat ordinance this year. Okay? How are you gonna treat your employees? Their wages are crying out. Okay. If we want to walk Jesus this year, we must have a right relationship with money. If we want to walk close to Jesus this year, we must have a right relationship with money and things. I've got a friend who's a pastor, he's now based in the states. And he used to say to us, you know what? Whenever we found that we were coming to a place as a family where we were holding too tightly onto certain things, we made a decision to just give away that thing. Why? Because the things have us instead of us having the things. Amen? Ask yourself, are there any prized possessions that I have that I'm holding onto too tightly? That's the test. That's the test of stewardship. Are there certain things that I love too dearly, too much That I'll never be able to let go of and Let me encourage you Don't just give away things this year That you don't like anymore Give away things that you like Amen Don't just give away old clothes Give away new stuff also Amen Amen As my wife mentioned earlier on When we give to the poor What are we doing? we're lending to the lord you can't outgive god amen let's make a decision that this year we will not walk in greed and secondly we will hate the oppression of the weak people who are weak physically and economically we will hate the oppression of the weak if you study this scripture it's very powerful because you will actually see that it's not just talking about greed, but it's also talking about oppression. Let's make a point this year that we are actually going to focus on loving the oppressed. Being a voice for the voiceless. Amen. In Luke chapter, two, in Luke chapter 12 verse 15, Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. It says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Do you know what this shows me? It shows me that there are different types of greed. And I'm going to share them with you just now. It says, be on your guard against these. In other words, greed is deceitful. So you have to watch out for it. Then it goes on to say something so powerful. It says, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. What is the true measure of a man? What is the true measure of a woman? Ask yourself the question, when you're doing research on people, what's the first thing you look at? Many of us look at the net worth of the person, right? Come on, famous people. When you look on Wikipedia, what's one of the first things you look at? Hey, what's this person's net worth? But here, Jesus is saying, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. How many of you have measured yourself based on that? How many of you, come on, you feel low, you feel downcast, because you're like, ah, my net worth is not that much. Jesus here says, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. As we set goals this year, let's set them aright. Let's set them like Christians, amen? Amen. In 1st Corinthians chapter 6 verse 9 to 10 it says here or do you not know do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God do not be deceived neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters nor adulterers nor men who have sex with men nor thieves Nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Isn't it interesting in our Christian lives how we look at all sorts of other things as terrible and bad, and yet here the greedy is mentioned? Are you following this morning? You know what that word inherit means? It's an interesting Greek word and it's where we get the word heir from. It's from the word kleros, which means an heir. That's the root word. No one will be an heir of the kingdom. Being an heir, what does an heir do? They take possession of something, right? They're a possessor of something. You will not be a possessor of the kingdom if you have these things. I want to encourage you this morning. Don't be given to anything except Jesus. Don't be given to anything except Jesus. What should I do? It's the devil. The devil doesn't want me to preach this message. So it's from the Greek word kleros, the Greek word kleros, which means heir and an heir is a possessor an heir is a possessor don't be given to anything except Jesus this year how many of you know that a lot of things are addictive a lot of things are addictive, okay so greed is described in scripture as idolatry as idolatry and I want to share with you four types of greed are you ready? Four types of greed. There's a guy called Chad Hovind in his book, Godonomics. He speaks of four types of greed. The first one is hoarding. Hoarding. This is where you have the mindset that says, let me amass as much as possible, and I can only give when I've amassed enough. And it's rooted in insecurity. Those people who save a lot of money, invest a lot of money, but they never tithe. Okay, it's gone very quiet in the room. Do you know those people who save a lot of money, but they never tithe? And the mindset behind that is, you know what? I am actually saving up for myself, not the kingdom. I can only give when I've got a lot. But until I've got a lot that is built up, I won't give. That's hoarding. We're talking Christian lifestyle here. The second type of greed, overspending, overspending. This is when you're impatient. This is when your mindset is, let me live beyond my means. This is when your mindset can't handle, you can't handle delayed gratification. You know, delayed gratification. It's fine, you know what? We will not have this, not have this, not have this, because we'll get something better later. It's that type of impatience. Impulsive buying. You haven't thought through it. You're just like, nah, it's fine. Let's just get it. Overspending. The third type of greed is comparison. It's based on comparison. You're fine until you compare yourself with other people. Have you noticed that? I've seen it when I give my kids stuff. Sometimes you can give one of your kids something and they're really happy. And at a certain point, they look at what their brothers have, uh, and then they're unhappy. Now we look at that and we laugh about it, but a lot of us are like that. This is the mindset where you always want to keep up with the Jones. You know that mindset of keeping up with the Jones, right? You're not content with the car you have because of the cars around you. You were happy with it last year, but now you see what your friends have, and you have to upgrade. Often it's rooted in envy, covetousness. The fourth type of greed is entitlement. This is a mindset a lot of poor people have. A lot of poor people have this mindset of, you know what, it's only rich people that are greedy. They're so greedy, that's why they've got lots of money. So they owe me something. Have you met people like that? Have some of you got relatives like that? we have got that mindset of, because you've got more money, you owe it to me. Okay. That's an entitlement mentality, they owe me. It's the mindset that says, I deserve to have freebies for everything. You know those people when the company is paying for it, they overindulge. Have you ever been to those restaurants where you have this buffet, and you can see the people who've paid, and the people where it was paid for. And you you literally can feel like throwing up because of the spirit of greed you experienced. I remember one time we went to a particular place and there was a buffet there and it was in Durban. And I remember, um, yeah, I won't go into detail in terms of what we saw, right? The number of times people are going up and down, getting fourth helpings, third helpings of desserts. And you're like, what's going on here? This is an entitlement mentality. And often it's a type of greed that is linked to the fear of lack. Amen. May God deliver us this year from the spirit of greed. I'm telling you right now, one of the foundations of biblical wealth is being freed from the spirit of greed. The second thing the Lord gave me when it came to the Christian lifestyle is the priority of prayer. The priority of what? The priority of prayer. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 to 4, It says, I urge then first of all that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. You know what I find interesting about this scripture? He's urging us, but he doesn't just say, I urge you to pray. He says, I urge then first of all. In the Greek, that's the word pro, and it literally means before. In other words, before you do a whole lot of other things, pray. Prayer mustn't be the last thing you do. It must be the first thing you do. Amen? If we want to live the Christian lifestyle, the foundation has to be prayer. I want to ask you, I want to ask you, and this is a very powerful question. It will show you what your priorities are. If I were to say to you, have you had a good day at the end of this day, would you say yes or no? And if you say yes, what is that based on? Because that shows me what your priorities are. If you haven't prayed all day, but you say my day was good, it shows me that prayer was not a priority. You see, if you say to me, Paul, I had an awesome, awesome, awesome day. Then I say, why was it awesome? The things that you say are very telling. They tell me what the priority is for your life. That if I've done this, and I've done this, and I've done that, then it means I've had a good day. Is everyone following? Okay? So if prayer is a priority... But you haven't spent time with the Lord in that day. You should be saying it was a bad day. It was a bad day because the thing that's most important to me didn't happen. Amen? So what I find interesting is he says, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, what's a petition? It's a request, isn't it? And when you unpack this word, it's speaking of a plea. It's speaking of someone who's desperate, who's saying, please, I need this, I need this, I need this. I find it so powerful how Paul the Apostle here doesn't just say one thing you must do in terms of prayer. He unpacks it because there are different types of prayer. So he says that petitions, prayers, intercession. What is an intercession? What is intercession? It's where you stand in the gap on behalf of someone else, right? And thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority. Why? Why? That we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all goodness, in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior. I love that word, this is good. In the original language it's the word kalos. And it literally means it's right, it's beautiful, it's noble. It's becoming. Also in scripture the Bible tells us, it says, praise looks good on you. Praise is becoming on the righteous. Amen. Well, so is prayer. So is prayer. That's exactly what he's saying. He's saying when you pray like this, it looks good. And it's pleasing to God. The Bible tells us that without faith, we cannot please God. You know that? Without prayer, we cannot please God. That's what the scripture here is communicating. This is pleasing to God, our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. You know what this shows me? What this shows me? It shows me that prayer is key to salvation and peace. Because it says, pray for kings and those in authority. Why? So that we live a quiet and peaceable life. The Lord gave me a dream a couple of days ago, a few days ago, and I was in a particular country and there were riots there. People were demonstrating. Afterwards, I was like, why is God giving me this particular dream about that particular nation? And He challenged me and He was like, this is it, the scripture pray for those in authority why we want to live peaceable lives amen and then it goes on to say this is good and pleases god our savior who wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of to the knowledge of the truth you know what this also shows me our prayers can make a difference when it comes to salvations amen how we pray for the lost and we're going to focus on that quite a bit this year But how we pray for the lost is key to them getting saved i've seen the power during this holiday when you pray very specific prayers when god gives you a sense of why someone is resisting salvation and you pray very specifically it's amazing what ends up happening right there's the work of the holy spirit in the life of the believer but you know that there's also the work of the holy spirit in the life of the unbeliever was the holy spirit that draws people to the father amen we need to pray strong prayers for the unsaved. So prayer must be a priority. We must practice this and we must pass it on to our children. Amen. The third area of Christian lifestyle is purity of heart. So what's the first area? Deliverance from greed and mammon, right? Second area, the priority of prayer. The third area is the purity of heart. Ephesians 4, verse 31 to 32. The Bible says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, some translations will say clamor, and slander, along with every form of malice. Malice is wickedness. Verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Now we heard during the time of communion the importance of forgiveness. You know that when you have a revelation of how much you've been forgiven, it's easier to forgive, isn't it? And you know why many of us don't have that revelation? Because many of us don't have a revelation of the degree to which we've sinned against God. I want to encourage you to pray a strong prayer. When you go home today, pray this prayer. Lord, reveal to me the wickedness of my own heart in comparison to your holiness. My friends, when you pray prayers like that, it's very difficult to be self-righteous and judgmental. Amen? Lord, reveal to me the wickedness of my own heart in comparison to your holiness and perfection. Everything changes. You find yourself dealing, with, dealing humbly with the people around you. You see, if I want to be a good forgiver, I need to have that revelation of how much I've been forgiven. But if I don't think I've done anything wrong, then there's nothing to be forgiven about. Amen? God is calling us this year to a deeper place of brokenness. He says, the broken and contrite heart, I won't deny, I won't despise. That's the heart he accepts. What I find so interesting is Scripture tells us that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Amen? So very often what comes out of the mouth of someone shows you what's in their heart. And that's why here in Scripture it says, no brawling or clamor. That's the word in the Greek, krazo, which literally speaks of shrieks and cries. How many of you during this holiday time were shrieking and crying? I'm not talking about crying as in boo-hoo-hoo. I'm talking about shouting at people, shrieking, screaming at an- another person, okay? Those are the kind of things that defile us. Jesus says in scripture, he actually says that it is what comes out of a person that defiles them, not what goes into them. Remember that? When the Pharisees were all caught up with, you know, what are you going to eat and so on, don't eat this, don't eat that. What did Jesus say? It's what comes out of you that defiles you. This is so interesting. Interesting. On the one hand, he's saying, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. On the other hand, he's saying it's what comes out it's what comes out of you that defiles you. Isn't that powerful? Be careful of what comes out of you. Purity of heart. You know why I find this so interesting? I find it interesting is I find it interesting because very often people don't know what's in your heart except for you. And so we've got this mindset that as long as other people can't see it, then it's okay. Amen? The Christian lifestyle isn't just about outward behavior. The Christian lifestyle is heart condition. Heart condition. The fourth dimension of the Christian lifestyle is renewed thinking. Pastor Vim preached a message some time back on renewal of the mind. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. The Bible tells us here it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world. The word in the Greek, therefore, pattern is schema. Schema, right? Schemata. You know the people who draw things and so on, right? So the world has a pattern. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do not conform to the pattern. Of this world. That, world. that word for world is where we get the word aeon from. You know, when people talk about ages and they say aeons, right? So, that word for world is not necessarily talking about people, it's talking about age. So, do not be conformed to the schemes or the pattern or the shape of this aeon. aeon is the word in the Greek and it's speaking of an age. A generation. How I many of you know that generations have different ways of thinking? So when your children come to you and say, but everyone is doing it, quote the scripture to them and say, but as a Christian, do not conform to the pattern, the shape of this age. You see, Christianity is a counterculture, it goes against the grain. When I was at Vastia, I used to have a radio show, a talk show called And I called it against the grain because I was getting people to talk about the Christian pattern for different things. Now, if the Bible says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then we need to ask the question, what is the Christian pattern for all areas of life? What is the Christian way of doing business? What is the Christian way of doing marriage? What is the Christian way of parenting? What is the Christian way of being an employee? What is the Christian way of being an employer? What is the Christian way of being a pastor? Amen? You can't just take what sangomas do and now call yourself a pastor. How many of you know that you've got a lot of people who call themselves pastors but they're sorcerers? There's a Christian pattern. What does a Christian sports person do? What does a Christian headmaster do? What does a Christian head boy do? What does a Christian daughter do? What does a Christian son do? There's a Christian lifestyle. Look what it goes on to say. It says, Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do you know what this shows me? The reason why a lot of Christians don't know God's will for their lives is because they haven't renewed their mind. The reason why a lot of Christians don't know God's will for their lives is because their mind is unrenewed. You see, as long as I've got an unrenewed mind, as long as I have the pattern of the world in me, I will go and I will pray and I'll say, Lord, show me what are your priorities for this year. And I will always interpret those priorities through the lens and the filter of the world. Amen? If you want to know God's will for your life this year, make sure your mind is renewed. You see, the people who God finds easy to work with are the people who are broken before him, saying, God, I want a biblical view of time management. God, I want a biblical view of parenting. Teach me. Help me to unlearn all the junk I learned from the world. God, I want a biblical view of what it means to be an active member of a local church. And we'll talk about that next week. The moment my mind is completely renewed with God's way of thinking, it's easy for me to see God's will. Amen? You see, if I'm in a place where I've yielded myself saying, God, even though it's holiday time, may you use me to reach the lost. I can't take a holiday from reaching the lost. It'll be so easy for me to hear his voice when he says to me, that guy who's your barber while you're on holiday out in the bundu, yeah, speak to those guys about the Lord. And watch what will happen. And that's what I experienced. Because there's no holiday from preaching the gospel. Amen? And the guys gave their lives to the Lord. Right? You're at a holiday resort and you're parked off there. And the lady says, oh, my back is sore, my back is sore. You can't take a holiday from healing the sick. Amen? And that's when you then see the miracle happening. Why? Your mind is renewed concerning use of time. Amen? So it becomes easier to obey the voice of the Holy Spirit. I can tell you right now when people keep coming saying, I'm not too sure. Hey, my purpose, my life purpose. It's because the mind is not renewed, the heart is not completely yielded to the purposes of God. Amen? Number five. This is a key one in Christian lifestyle. Delegated authority. Delegated authority. The Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians, what's the scripture there, um, Justin? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 to 9. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 to 9. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. I want you to just see the power of this. Because some of you are going into this year, but you're not relating a right to authority. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Verse 2, honor your mother and father, which is the first commandment with a promise. Verse 3, so that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Verse 4, fathers, Do not exasperate your children. What does the word exasperate mean? To provoke to anger, right? Do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Can you see that for each of these people, there's an instruction? Jesus taught by instruction. Paul, when he wrote his letters, he didn't make suggestions. He wasn't saying, ah, if you want to, if it's okay. There there were instructions. There's a guy who's actually written a book on the commandments of Jesus. I'll talk about that just now. What about slaves? Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear. Could actually replace slaves there with employees, subordinates. Okay? Obey your earthly masters with respect and fear. And with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Do you know what he's talking about here? Delegated authority. He's basically saying Christ is the ultimate source of authority. See, Jesus says, all authority on earth and heaven has been given to me. Then he delegates that authority. So when you are doing things half-hearted at work, it's as if you're doing things half-hearted for God. Amen? That's why the Bible tells us, do it as unto the Lord. In other words, God is your ultimate boss. My friends, this is Christian lifestyle. Let's go a bit deeper into this. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you. See, because if you're obeying them only when their eye is on you, it means you're doing it for them, not for God. Say to the person next to you, God is watching. God is watching. In terms of efficiency, in terms of effectiveness, in terms of a spirit of excellence, everything changes. When we know that everything we do, we're doing it for God. And this goes down to menial tasks, by the way. Because slaves didn't, didn't make PowerPoint presentations and fancy things. They were doing menial tasks. Amen? So when I wash dishes at home, yes, I could be saying I'm doing my wife a favor, I'm doing the people a favor. But my heart attitude to, should be, as unto the Lord. Amen? those of you who wash clothes come on some of you um you were not used to it holiday period those of you with domestic help and the domestic help is not there right for some of you it was difficult you're like i'm on holiday but hey hey now we do it as unto the lord do you know what this does for you it helps you when you don't feel appreciated come on moms when you're doing things for your kids dads when you're doing things for your kids even in a church setting you won't always be thanked sometimes you'll do things behind the scenes and we won't see you doing them delegated authority whoever asked you to do that has been put there by God amen and you go the extra mile because you're like Lord how can I best serve in this environment whether I'm recognized, acknowledged or not Christian lifestyle and goes deeper and it says, "Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of, as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from where? From your heart. Watch this: Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do. You know what this shows me? When you're working for an employer and the employer isn't paying you enough, when your mindset is, I'm doing this for the Lord, the Bible says God will reward you. In other words, God makes up the difference. That's a very powerful revelation to have. God makes up the difference. How many of you are in situations where you feel you're working for an employer right now, but you don't feel you're being paid what you're worth? Let me tell you something this is a secret to kingdom wealth. Stop complaining and do it as unto the Lord or move on and get a better job. Because when you're doing it as unto the Lord, remember it's God who says in his word, a workman is worthy of his wage. You know what that shows me? God applies his own principles. So if he's saying you're my workman because you're doing it for me, he'll bless you, my friends. He'll bless you. There are a lot of things in my life right now where I'm claiming, I'm saying, Lord, in the next number of years, I'm going to see A, B, C, D. Because there were times in the past where certain things that were due to me were not given to me. But God is in the restoration business. Amen? And if I was genuinely doing it for Him and not for man, He makes up the difference. Amen? Okay? Now watch this. Verse 9. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. You know what Paul was doing here? In a culture where people had slaves and so on, he was basically saying, just remember, you're not the ultimate authority. You also have someone you report to, ultimately. Okay? So ultimately, God is your boss, and he will reward you. When you fail to do things wholeheartedly, you're actually being unwholeheartedly doing them for the Lord. Sorry for my grammar there. Right? You're doing things badly for the Lord. Those of you who head up sections in the church, when you're not doing it wholeheartedly, it's not to me. Ultimately, it's to the Lord. Amen. I want to encourage you this morning, make a decision to make your work worship unto the lord whatever work you do make it worship unto the lord number six christian lifestyle disciple making every single person how many of you are born again here in this place you're a born again believer a couple of people didn't seem sure certain we'll give you a chance just now okay right Central to the Christian lifestyle is disciple making Matthew 28 verse 19 to 20 Therefore, these were Jesus' parting words Therefore go and make disciples of all nations What's the name of this church? I beg your pardon? It's, we we called Go Do you know how that name came? I'm noticing a lot of people aren't aware You know, and there are always new people coming. So let me explain to you. I actually prayed a prayer and I said, Lord, what is this church going to be called? And it's one of the few times I heard an inaudible voice. I literally heard, go. I heard it. And then afterwards, when you then unpack that, it's obviously coming from what Jesus was saying here. Go and do what? Go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit you cannot say paul i'm a christian who lives the christian lifestyle but you're not making disciples amen you cannot say i live a moral life i'm a good person but embedded in your lifestyle there is no disciple making as you set goals for this year please make this a priority he says, Go and make disciples of all nations. What is the word disciple? In the original, it's the word methetus, which literally means to learn. It's not a complicated word, it's one who learns. So basically, it's saying, Go and teach the nations. Go and teach the nations. How many of you would say you're a disciple? You see, God hasn't called us to just make converts, God has called us to make disciples where they are converted and then they are taught. What are they taught? They're taught biblical Christianity. Watch this. Watch this. It says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Baptism will be happening every month. Once a month, we've set aside on the church calendar, which will go up on the website soon, we've set aside once a month on a particular Sunday, after the church service opportunity for people who are recently saved to get baptized okay verse 20 teaching them to do what to obey everything that I have commanded you so we have to find out what are the commandments of Jesus what did Jesus teach and those are the things we must teach people to obey that word is the same word as to guard or to observe A lot of us teach people, but we don't know how to teach them to obey. Amen? It's one thing to be taught something. It's one thing to be taught something. To say, oh, I now know this. It's another thing to take that word that you've been taught, to guard it, to watch over it, and to make sure it takes root in your life. Is everyone following? Okay? When Jesus says, teaching them to obey... The word teach there, it's the word didasco in the Greek, and it literally means to cause, to learn, to direct, to admonish, to instruct, to impart knowledge. How many of you were actively teaching people to obey during the holiday period? How many of you are endeavoring that throughout this year you're going to be making disciples, where you'll be teaching people to obey the commandments of Jesus? How many of you can say to me, Paul, I'm fully aware of the commandments of Jesus. There are many things Jesus said. And when Jesus taught, he taught in two major ways. He taught by parable, story, and he taught by instruction or command. Just go and look in scripture. Those are the two ways Jesus taught. He shared parables and then he gave instructions. Um, it's, it, the sad thing for me is today people struggle with being instructed. Have you noticed that? They struggle with any form of instruction. Who are you now holier than thou? Who are you now more important than Who are you more than... Do you know what a disciple is? A disciple is one who sits under teaching. What teaching are you going to sit under? My wife earlier on was talking about goals she set for herself in terms of books that she's going to go through each week. That's sitting under teaching. Amen. You can only make disciples if you're a disciple yourself. So to the degree to which you're sitting under teaching, you're observing the commandments of Jesus. In other words, you're watching, guarding over what you have learned. Only then can you go and pass that on to other people. This will be a year of disciple making. Amen. Imagine what would happen if every Christian took Jesus' last instructions seriously. The instructions to make disciples. I want to encourage you to do so. Number seven, we're talking Christian lifestyle here. The power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. All these things will fail if we're not empowered by the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 24, verse 49, it says, it says this, I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. In other words, Jesus was basically saying, guys, don't go and be witnesses until you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And how I many of you know that there's the initial baptism of the Holy Spirit, but then afterwards we have to continually be filled with the Spirit in order to do what God has called us to do. Amen? Amen. The Bible tells us that we don't know how we ought to pray. So what do we do? We rely on the Holy Spirit who helps us to intercede because we don't know. And how many of you know that the Holy Spirit is a gentleman? So he doesn't just enforce himself on us. There are things that you can do that attract the Holy Spirit, that make him want to work with you. And we must do those things more and more. There are certain things that we can do that grieve the Holy Spirit We must know what those things are and do them less and less. Amen? I don't know about you, but this year, I want to make sure that I'm completely yielded to the Holy Spirit so that He has maximum effect in and through my life. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, similar instruction. He says, But you will receive power When the Holy Spirit comes on you. Can you see the link between power and the Holy Spirit? Many people want the power of God today, but somehow they think they can have the power of God bypassing the Holy Spirit. The Bible speaks of fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Fellowship with the Holy Spirit. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I want to share with you that their degrees of power, their degrees of glory. The Bible says He'll take you from one level of glory to another. Their levels of power, their dimensions of power. It's not like, oh, okay, this is this, the same power. No, there's some people who function under more power than other people. Not so? And I'm telling you right now, here's the key. Very often the amount of power of the Holy Spirit that works in and through you is linked to the degree of resistance in you. Who's an electrician here? Who's an engineer here? Electrical engineering. Who studied that? Right? They will tell you. They will tell you Does does anything conduct electricity the same amount? Different amounts, right? Some have greater resistance than others. It's the same with us. God's power is available, however many kilowatts of it, available for you and me. But you will see manifestation based on the degree to which you yield to his power. You see, many of us do things that short-circuit the power of God. How many of you know that anxiety and fear short-circuit the power of God? How many of you know that walking in the flesh short-circuits the power of God? How many of you know that doing things with the wrong motives short-circuit the power of God? Just do a study of this and see how you can maximize on the manifestation of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And don't limit the power of the Holy Spirit just so-called spiritual things how many of you've watched the documentary um i think they call them immortals right and they i think it's on immortals or or maybe it's on another one but they interview a number of people and there's an interview where they're interviewing wade vanikic and he's talking about the time when he broke the 400 meter record you all know wade vanikic right right when he broke the 400 meter record, and I just find it amazing how throughout he's just casually talking about how he was praying during the race, and he would say 200 meters. Then I was just like, Oh Lord, please help me. And then I now saw that I was now in line with so and so, who I knew was one of the fast guys, and I was just like, Oh Lord, come Lord, just give me the power that I need. And then now I found that I was now doing on the final bend and so on, and I just thought, Oh, this is funny. Oh, I'm going really, right. and I was just like, Oh Lord, please just give me the power that I need to carry on. Isn't that, isn't that wonderful? I want to encourage you, include the Holy Spirit in all aspects of your life. When you're standing up, giving a presentation, when you're going and you're shaking hands with that bank manager. Lord, as I shake his hand, may he experience your power. Lord, as we have that conversation, may he not be able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which I speak, just like it was said of Stephen, the first martyr in Scripture. Walk with the Holy Spirit. Include Him in all aspects of your life. Amen? That's the Christian lifestyle. And then finally, number eight, freedom from fear. At some stage this year, in the early part of the year, I'm going to do a seminar of mine, possibly in meat. I'm still thinking of what context I'll do it. It's called Be Bold, Be Fearless, Be You. I've done it in the corporate world. I want to do it for us as a church. I might have done it some years ago. But I'm telling you right now, one of the things that will change your life is freedom from fear. Let me ask you a question. What would your life look like if you were not friends with fear? Let me say something. When you embrace the spirit of boldness, because the Bible tells us in Scripture that I've not given you a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power love and a sound mind. When you embrace boldness in your life, how many of you know that you applied to different areas of life? We need boldness to step into uncharted territory. There are things that are going to be happening this year that we've never done before. We need boldness for it. We need boldness to love again. For some of you, you've been hurt. You've been betrayed. And the new thing for you, 2019, is, you know what? I need to learn to love again. Amen. Boldness can be applied in different areas of life. It's not just about, oh, I'm going to conquer the world, so I need boldness. Philippians 4 verse 6 says, do not be anxious about anything. Have you noticed that when people are stressed out, they want everyone around them to also be stressed out? And when you're not stressed by the same things, They look at you like, what's wrong with you? And they start getting stressed because you're not stressed. You know those people who blame you for being relaxed? And then they start making you feel guilty? Like, don't you care? You know? This is important stuff. How many of you know that fear is infectious? If you study scripture, you'll see in the Gospel of Matthew, when it talks about Herod. You know when Herod killed off all the firstborn kids? It says, Herod and those who were around him were anxious the anxiety that was on Herod spread to the people around him. Fear is infectious. Be careful of the people you hang out with this year, because some of them who are very anxious and always stressed out want to pass on their anxiety to you. But we've not been given a spirit of fear. And it says, be anxious. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. Some people are like, but you can understand why I'm anxious. Hey, yeah, because my situation is different. Yeah, so of course I'm anxious, so it's okay. Scripture here is saying do not be anxious about anything. Yeah, but you know, money is important. Yeah, finance because I've got kids, yeah, because when you've got kids, you know what? When- do not be anxious about anything. What's the antidote? So you don't go around just saying, I won't fear, I won't fear, I won't fear, I won't fear. Because all you're focusing on is fear, fear, fear. You do the antidote, you do the opposite. What does the Bible say? It says, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So it's basically saying, don't be anxious, turn your anxiety into what? Faith-filled prayer, not anxiety-based prayer. It doesn't just say pray. It says, pray and petition with thanksgiving. How many of you know that thanksgiving is probably one of the highest forms of faith? Isn't it? If I'm already thanking you in advance for something, it means I believe it's done. Not so. So basically it's saying, don't be anxious. Rather start thanking God because it's done. Isn't that powerful? Make your request known to God. Don't waste your language on comp- by complaining to people about certain things. Moaning. Rather pray. Use that energy to pray this year. Prayer helps you to overcome anxiety. Poor, you can come up and start playing. That word anxious is an interesting one. In the original language, it actually speaks of dividing and fracturing a person's being into parts. Dividing and fracturing a person's being into parts. The divided self. One of the words for peace in scripture is Irene. And it's interesting because it means oneness, a coming together. So peace brings us together. The self is not divided. Anxiety fractures us. It speaks of care. It speaks of worry. I like what F.D. Roosevelt, great American president, said in 1933 in his first inaugural address. He says, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Nameless unreasoning unjustified terror which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance fear paralyzes you some of you aren't stepping out doing great things right now because you're afraid what are you afraid of some of you call it fear of failure but it's not always that sometimes it's fear of ridicule what will people say Paul don't tell anyone guys don't tell anyone until it's done why Until I know for sure that it's successful. Why? Fear of ridicule. Fear of being mocked. There's a business writer called Louis E. Boone. And he said, don't fear failure so much that you refuse to try new things. The saddest summary of a life contains three descriptions. Could have, might have, and should have. I don't want to get to the end of 2019 and I think of all sorts of things and I just think I could have I might have I should have I want to make sure that the things that God has placed in my heart end up happening because I'm free from fear so what are the eight dimensions of Christian lifestyle that we're gonna focus on number one deliverance from mammon and greed number two the priority of prayer. Number three, purity of heart. Number four, renewed thinking. Number five, delegated authority, fully embracing it. Number six, disciple making, disciple making. Number seven, the power of the Holy Spirit. And number eight, freedom from fear. Let's pray. You're here this morning and you're saying, I've heard this message. I want to guard this message. I want to watch over it. I want to make sure that these eight things are manifest in my life this year. I want to live the Christian lifestyle. Yes, I'll set my goals. Yes, I have my ambition. But I want it to be embedded in godliness. You want to make that commitment for 2019, just stand where you are. Saying, God, I want you to help me to live the Christian lifestyle. You're saying, yes, pastor, I'm in agreement with this. Can't just desire things. We need to live the Christian lifestyle. Renewed thinking, freedom from greed. Let's pray. Let's commit ourselves as Go Christian Church this year. Just pray together with me. Father God, I surrender to you. I yield myself to your Holy Spirit. I ask that you lead me this year. Help me as I renew my mind. Free me from greed. Empower me by your Holy Spirit. I embrace you, Jesus. I choose to follow you this year. I want my lifestyle to be unique. I want it to stand out. I want to be different to this age. I want to be a true disciple. Help me to be a disciple maker. In Jesus' mighty name. The people of God said, amen and amen. Thank you, Lord Jesus. God bless you.